0: of 2020, we did a wrap-up episode cataloging the lessons we learned from that most unique of years. And while 2022, thankfully, did not feature quite as many immediately drastic changes, things are still shifting in our world and in our ministries. Many have called the pandemic the great accelerator, meaning that in some facets of life, we've seen almost a decade's worth of changes in just a few short years. And when outlooks and behaviors change, it also changes how we engage the world around us. And so, on today's episode of the MyCom Church Marketing Podcast, I'm going to share with you three lessons I learned in 2022 and three predictions I have for 2023. Thank you to everybody for listening. My name is Dan Wunderlich, I'm a United Methodist pastor. And the first lesson I learned in 2022 is managing your health and wellness is essential to ministry. I don't know about you, but the pandemic taught me two key things about my own health and wellness. First, that my tank is deeper than I thought. I was able to push through and handle more than I would have guessed. And for that, I am grateful. Second, though, it revealed that a deeper tank also means that when it's empty, you can feel even more empty than you thought possible. Now, some of this is the result of my own poor self-care habits and disciplines. That's a lifelong struggle I've had, but some of it is the consequence of the times in which we've been living. It took until July of this year, 2022, for my family and I to take off and leave town for more than just a weekend. And of course, this is how it works. I was on that trip and my wife and I got COVID for the first time which is the very reason we had been avoiding traveling. Well, all is well now, but even with having gotten sick, I could feel a difference when I returned to the work of ministry. I wasn't full again, but I also wasn't as empty as I was. We were able to squeeze in one more trip to the North Carolina mountains at the end of the summer. We all stayed healthy, and I hit the ground running in the fall. Now, perhaps you're better at this kind of stuff than I am, but I would also assume that you learned more about what you need to do your job with excellence to keep the creative reservoirs full, to want to come to work each day, actually want to come. Now, back in February and March of this year, we did episodes on why we might run out of ideas and the hidden reason why we might be so tired. If you miss those episodes or you need a refresher, now's a great time to revisit them, especially as you start to think about what you want your rhythm to look like next year. And I will say, if you've struggled with your calling to or desire for ministry, you are not alone. Over the last couple of years, the Barna Research Group has been tracking the percentage of pastors who have considered leaving ministry. Not their church, but the vocation altogether, full-time professional ministry. And in January of 2021, it was 29%, but by March of this year, it had shot up to 42%. The top three reasons given were the stress of the job, loneliness and isolation, and the current political division. The next three were all tied at the effect on family, pessimism about the future of their church, and the conflict between their vision for the church and its current direction. And yes, this data is specific to pastors, but I'll bet you resonate with this. Church communicators are often one of the key links between pastors and their congregations. And as we frequently note in our audience, we have many pastors who are also the church communications person, but you help take and translate the mission, vision, and message for your community. That's a significant role. You might also be one of the first lines of contact when things come back the other way. You might be monitoring posts or comments on social media, email inboxes, replies to texts, or Facebook Messenger. And even if your job is just to pass those things along to someone else to respond to, you are still receiving it and interacting with it. When things are good, hey, this can be uplifting. But when things are rough, it can also be really disheartening and draining. And let's be honest, there are many reasons why this may be a rough season. Whether it's related to the future of the denomination, the effects of political partnership, continuing battles over how the pandemic was or even still is being handled, or changes that your church is having to make to adapt to the world we now live in, these topics, they touch nerves. They inflame emotions. And we all know that communication via a keyboard can lead people to say things that they would never say in person. In short, we need to be learning to stay on top of our health and wellness so that we can be resilient in this season. The second key lesson I feel like we're learning in 2022, or that I have learned in 2022, is that just being online is not enough. For most of us, the challenge of 2020 was just getting our ministries online. From launching live streams to doing virtual meetings and small groups, it may have felt like drinking from a fire hose. And in 2021... We may be worked to improve the experiences. What equipment or software needs to be upgraded? How can we add a little polish to what we're doing? And as things reopened, it also brought the challenge of hybrid ministry. How do we have things that are simultaneously in person and online? Or should we even have that? Should they be two totally different things? Some churches even elected to start turning off some of their online channels, like live-streaming worship, in part to get people back, but also because they were perhaps not seeing a return in engagement. My worship leader at my church attended a big conference for other worship leaders this summer, and one of the big discussions in the breakout sessions and over meals and in the hallways was, is live-streaming worship still a good idea? What is it actually for? Is it meant to be a full substitute to the worship service? Is it meant to be a last resort option for those who don't want to come or can't come in person, or is it just a window in so that people who might want to visit in person can see what it's like first? There were a couple of Sundays that I worshipped from home, including my COVID Sunday, and I'll tell you, I do not sing in my living room. Now, some of you might, some people in your congregation might, but my guess is that most people don't. I also found myself much more distracted. My four-year-old daughter and my pets were moving all around. They did not really care that it was church time. And my phone was right there, sitting next to me, begging me to scroll since no one would see me do it. And I even found myself thinking, huh, I could fold a load of laundry or empty the dishwasher while this is on. I mean, I multitask like that to podcasts all the time, and I still get the message. And folks, I am the pastor. Like, I, I am in charge, responsible. I am the pastor of the church whose worship I am watching, and I am still thinking that I can do that. This was also when it occurred to me, why our viewer retention craters after the sermon? In our service, what follows the sermon is communion, which I can't take at home, prayer time, which is important, but feels a little disconnected over the internet, and certainly you could do it anytime, and the closing song, which again, I am not going to sing. So there's about 10 to 15 minutes right there that I can save by just turning it off early and telling myself that I wouldn't have gotten much out of it anyway. Now, let's compare that to another online experience I started engaging this year, live streaming on Twitch. Now, I am going to tell you this, trusting that you will not laugh at me. I am being vulnerable with you here. I watch a regular live stream, but it is not from some young, hip influencer or video game personality, uh, but from a guy who is an artist. He's a 71-year-old Canadian who lives in Tokyo and hand makes traditional Japanese woodblock prints. I know. Super nerdy, right? He streams his work for 90 minutes a day, three days out of the week, and I rarely make it on live, uh, but I watch the replay while I'm falling asleep each night. And at first, it literally was meant to be a sleep aid. I stumbled onto some of his videos on YouTube, and he has a very chill Bob Ross vibe, soft spoken voice, good storyteller. I had zero interest in woodblock prints before finding him. I consider myself creative. I'm a designer. I've even done physical art in the past, but this form of art had no interest to me. But now I know so much about the process. I'm learning about the history of the art from him, and I'm actually finding it interesting. I've even purchased one of his prints. This is the commercial artist version of what we all hope will happen with our online content. But let me tell you, while my interest was piqued by his YouTube videos, it was the Twitch streams that made me feel a part of what he was doing. And you know why? Because during a Twitch stream, there's a place for chatting. And I know there's a place for chatting on Facebook Live videos or YouTube Live videos while you're streaming worship. But during his streams, this place is alive unlike any online church service I've watched. There are regulars that show up for every stream. They have conversations back and forth. I begin to recognize names. I feel like I'm a part of a group of people who all show up to to do this same thing together. And the artist, he's constantly looking up from his work and scanning the chat to answer questions or talk about things people want him to talk about. And even though I watch these things on replay 95% of the time, I still feel like I'm part of this community. Now, what's the difference? What does it mean for church? With live streaming the way churches do it, there may be a consistent or even large group of people who are all watching the same thing, but you don't bond with people by just watching the same thing. Otherwise, you'd leave a movie theater friends with everyone else that you're showing. You bond by interacting around the same things. And most church live streams I've seen, including my own, have little to no action in the chat, and they certainly have no interaction with the people who are on the screen. Is there still value in that? Sure. But are we missing out on using this tool to its greatest potential? Absolutely. Being online was a great first step, but by this point in 2022, it has become clear that simply being online is not enough. My third big lesson that I learned in 2022 and am actively learning here at the end of 2022 is that social media is changing even more than we realize. Most churches do not use Twitter. Uh, But I have found that most people who use social media professionally do use Twitter. So even if it isn't a part of your ministry role, I would imagine many of you are on Twitter or maybe were on Twitter if it still exists by the time you hear this. If you've been on it or you're just following the news about it, you know things have gotten crazy. The platform was purchased by Elon Musk. He immediately started making changes. He started letting staff go. Others were quitting. At the time of my recording this, he has locked all of their offices so that no one can come in because they're worried that the platform might get sabotaged. And literally last night, everyone was saying their goodbyes to their Twitter followers in case the whole website crashes over the weekend. At this point, I'm not sure if Twitter will still exist by the time you hear it. It probably will, but it might not. Who knows? And Twitter is not the only platform in crisis. Facebook and Instagram's parent company, Meta, is going through financial challenges that it's never experienced before. And in response, the teams at Facebook and Instagram have been trying to make changes to make their platforms more like TikTok, which is the current dominant force in social media. Instagram launched a new version of their feed and had to reverse course within a week because everyone hated it. Facebook announced that they would put less emphasis on showing people posts from friends and family and pages they follow, but they're instead going to try to show you things you don't know that you like and they think that you'll like. And that, of course, is the genius of the TikTok algorithm. I've begun to notice this shift in my Facebook feed, and I hate it. As much as I love it on TikTok, I hate it on Facebook because that's not why I go to Facebook. Now, this is a double-edged sword for the church. Platforms pivoting away from showing posts by people and pages you've elected to follow is not great if the goal of our church online is to simply reach and inform our followers. However, what this shift does mean is that it is going to theoretically be more likely that you'll have organic reach, that your stuff will be shown to people who don't currently follow you, And that is the potential for evangelism and growth. The problem, of course, is that most churches have been using Facebook mostly, if not exclusively, for just keeping their current community informed. And these kinds of posts will mean nothing to people who aren't already connected to you. This means two things, which we will address in my predictions for next year. We'll need to shift the kind of content we make and post, and we'll need to lean into other ways of keeping our community connected and informed. And since we've mentioned TikTok, I'll point you back to our August 2022 episode where we spoke with Piper Ramsey Sumner about how she uses TikTok for ministry. But the short summary of my thoughts on it are, it's tantalizing, but also difficult. It has surpassed Google to be the most accessed domain on the internet. When you hit it big, you can hit it really big. But building something sustainable is incredibly hard, especially as it's grown. I mean, it's dealing with the same math problem that brought an end to Facebook's chronological feed and made it much harder to reach people there. There's simply more content than there are spaces for content. And so you literally have to fight for attention, and it can be lost as quickly as it's gained. And there continues to be lingering questions about user data privacy, and if governments around the world will eventually restrict access to the app. So you have to think about that when you decide to dive in or not dive into TikTok. This year also saw a new platform gain a modest following called Be Real. Now, essentially, after you join, what happens is you get a notification at a random time each day. You then have a brief period of time in which you can make your one and only post of the day. And that post takes the form of photos taken simultaneously by both the front and rear cameras on your phone. The idea is that you literally have to be real, as it will show people where you are and what you're doing and what you're wearing at that time, and you don't get to choose the time, so you can't do too much to curate it like an Instagram feed. It is an idea that's taking off, and I'm not really sure how you would use it for church marketing at this point. And I know I've heard about it uh, months after it launched, and maybe this is the first time you've heard about it, and that's because it's growing slowly and steadily. And in these last couple of days, as, as we've seen Twitter get really shaky, a bunch of people are jumping over to a Twitter-like platform called Mastodon. Uh, I just signed up for it last night, and so I have no tips or tricks for you, but it may be something uh, to look into. But again, it functions a lot like Twitter, so if you're not using Twitter for your church, maybe you don't uh, use it for your, your church here either all the point is that in 2022, it feels like there are significant cracks in the foundations of social media stalwarts. What used to be the big three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, they are all on increasingly shaky ground. The newer platforms are gaining attention and are not necessarily built for the way that churches have traditionally used social media. We need to be paying attention to this because as the social media landscape continues to change, the way we approach it needs to as well. And as a free prediction before we transition into my actual predictions, because I'm about 50-50 on this one, it would not surprise me at all if 2023 brings a new platform into view or elevates one like Be Real that's currently small but growing. Whatever that platform is likely won't see another meteoric rise like TikTok did. It was helped in large part due to everyone being stuck at home early in the pandemic. But I think the instability that's growing is creating room for something new. All right, predictions for 2023. Prediction number one, video, video, video video. Simply put, I am confident that video will continue to play a huge role in making an impact through social media, perhaps even more so than in 2022. As we noted in our last point, the dominance that TikTok is having is affecting every other platform. There are those like Facebook and Instagram that seem to be desperately pivoting in that direction with Reels, but even YouTube, which is quite possibly the most stable social media platform at the moment, it launched YouTube Shorts. Now, here's some good news. If you're active across all of these platforms or you wanna be, you'll notice that many creators are just making one video and then posting them to TikTok, Reels, and YouTube Shorts. In the past, it was much more critical to tailor your content to specific platforms and reposting the same thing across all of the platforms wasn't uh, effective. It wasn't a, a recommended strategy. And while you may still want to think through what demographic you engage on each platform and perhaps selectively decide which videos will go where, you can largely just create a single batch of content and send it to all the places that make sense. It's also common to see short-form videos that are actually clips from a longer video. The most obvious example for churches are clips taken from a longer sermon. And this can be a really effective way to catch people's attention and lead them into engaging with a longer section or even the full sermon. Another thing you might see is a longer video that takes the form of a list, three keys to something, five shortcuts, 10 tips, and then each segment gets cut down into its own short. There's still the long video, but then there's the shorts utilizing the same content you've already recorded. Blending the two, you might take key points or actionable parts of your sermon Maybe you do rewrite them into a list style video and record a new version delivered direct to camera rather than something you captured in the sanctuary, but then you can have a long video and then chop it up into a handful of short videos and you're doing that out of content that's already being written. And this is where we take the next step in the importance of video in 2023. Short-form video, usually shot as vertical video or cropped to vertical video, are driving TikTok reels and shorts. However, ministries should not neglect the value and impact of medium and long-form videos. Let's be honest, right now, I've already said it, the most stable social media platform on the internet is YouTube. And while they do have shorts and are trying to make them a bigger part of the platform, it's still primarily a place for longer videos. You might not think of YouTube as a social media platform, but it is a place where people encounter and engage with content. It's also a place where you can build a community. Hank Green is a science communicator, author, musician, and entrepreneur, but his longest running gig is literally as a YouTuber. He's been active and successful for more than a decade. He's also recently grown a large following on TikTok, and he's reflected on what he perceives to be the differences between TikTok and YouTube, and it's more than just length and format. Because TikTok opens on the Explore tab and specializes in trying to find you new things you've never seen before... It's great for creator discovery. It's also terrible for community building. YouTube is largely the opposite. You can still discover new things, especially through searching or looking at the recommended videos, but when someone chooses to subscribe to your channel, YouTube is built to help them stay connected to you. He likens TikTok to a greenhouse and YouTube to a garden. A greenhouse is a great place to try to start growth quickly. But to be sustained long-term, you need to move out of the greenhouse and into the garden. And that's why almost every TikTok profile page includes a link to Instagram or YouTube or some other platform somewhere else that's not TikTok. Some creators will even end their TikToks with a call to action to follow them on another platform where they can better connect and grow and serve a community. And that leads us well into prediction number two it will be imperative to move people to platforms you control. Moving someone from TikTok to Instagram or Instagram to your YouTube channel increases the likelihood that you'll be able to reach them more consistently and in deeper ways, provided that you're creating content that serves them. However, at the end of the day, all social media platforms are ultimately owned and controlled by someone else. And the changes they make are not in your best interests, but theirs. This is most clear with Facebook. If you've been on the platform for a long time, you've weathered so many different shifts in algorithms and focuses. There'll be a couple years where the focus seems to be on showing people content from family and friends and follows, and then they shift to showing more content from pages you don't follow. They'll be all in on stories and then video and then live video and then go back to something completely different. Once every couple of years, you suddenly can't reach the people you want to reach or who have intentionally followed you in the same way. Also, as all of these platforms have had to respond to bots and hate speech and manipulation, piracy of creative content, and more, they've had to implement tools that try to filter out content and punish sources that seem to be making trouble. But of course, it would be impossible for a real human to review everything published on any one site. So they use algorithms and AI. This inevitably leads to posts and pages getting in trouble, sometimes legitimately and sometimes unfairly. Now, I am not one to cry persecution when that happens to churches and religious content on the Internet. I usually attribute it to an honest mistake, an overzealous filter, or perhaps the code being written by people who may not be themselves religious and thus don't always know how to handle our content. The problem, of course, is that there is no easy way to contact a real person at any of these platforms and get things straightened out. So you may find yourself with reduced reach or even a suspension from posting until someone gets around to looking at your case. This is why it's vitally important to also encourage the people you connect with to connect with you through channels you do control. Examples include email lists, texting services, your website, or even a podcast. With all of these, you have much more control over how your content is displayed, and you have a much more direct connection with your audience. They don't have to wait for an algorithm to push your post into their feed. They can read your email or see your latest episode in their podcast app. So yes, we should keep engaging with social media, even through all of the frustrations. It remains a place where a significant portion of our communities spend a significant amount of their time. It's also a place to do ministry and connect with new people, but we also need to be intentional about creating flows in which we gradually move people into more reliable ways of connecting. My third and final prediction for 2023 is that generational shifts will accelerate. This prediction is more about beginning to think strategically now while there's still time to act before it's too late. Earlier this year, I heard a podcast with Australian pastor Mark Sayers. Now, he's not Methodist. You might not jive with all of his theology, but one of the things he's exceptionally good at is understanding the bigger arcs in culture and how it will affect the church. And he noticed that one challenge not enough churches are talking about is the impending decline and end of the baby boomer generation. In most churches in the Western world, this generation is the foundation. They're the givers. They do the serving, the attending, the leading, the volunteering, and we should be so grateful for this dedication. The decades, the literal decades that they have given to the church are why we are where we are today. But at the same time, generations age and eventually end. The youngest baby boomers were born in 1964, making them 58 in 2022. But most of those we think of baby boomers are already in their 60s, if not their 70s. And if your church relies heavily on this generation and has not begun to talk about what will happen over the next five to 10 years, it is time to start those conversations. Now, at the same time, I'm recording this in mid-November 2022, and we're just now starting to see in the post-midterm election data here in the U.S. that Gen Z has arrived as a political force to be considered. This generation had a significant effect on the outcomes of races all over the country, and the first member of this generation was even elected to Congress. They're not just the kids anymore. They're in their teens and in their early to mid-20s, which means they will only have an increasing presence in colleges, workplaces, politics, and culture for the foreseeable future. They will soon entirely be the generation we're referring to when we say the term young adults. Now, this is a church marketing podcast, and I'm talking about generations of servants and givers and leaders declining in the entrance of a new generation into adulthood. What does this have to do with us? Isn't this kind of more of a church leadership type topic? Yes, absolutely. Your church should be talking about this. And if it's not, I would encourage you to be one of the ones who tries to get this conversation started. But the reason I think we need to be a part of this is because of our unique role as church communications folks. We are a valuable part of this conversation because one of our skills that is essential to our work is learning how to do demographic and psychographic research. Understanding communities and generations of people and how to connect with them is what makes our work strategic and not simply creative. If you can help your church's pastor and leaders come to see Gen Z as real people and not just a faceless group, you will have Added immense value to the conversations that need to be happening. But as I said, this isn't an urgent challenge yet. It's a transition that is beginning or maybe is already underway, and we need to take it seriously. So take the time you need to do the research and intentionally look for resources so that you are prepared when the time comes. Well, now, listeners, we want to hear from you. What lessons did you learn in 2022? any shifts or changes in strategy or techniques that you're planning to make in the new year, email us at podcast at umcom.org. And we just might share your thoughts or recommendations on a future episode. And you can, of course, use that email podcast at to send us any feedback or topic suggestions you have for the show. We always love hearing from you. And as this is the last episode for 2022, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who was a guest on our show this year. Thank you for your time and your wisdom, your expertise and pouring into our audience. I want to say a huge thank you to producer Josh you may hear my voice in your ears each month but i promise you without josh that would not happen so thank you josh and of course the biggest thank you goes to you all the listeners our community but not just for listening obviously thank you for listening if you weren't listening we wouldn't be doing this podcast but thank you for the work that you do thank you for the work that you do for your church for our denomination for the big c church And for the kingdom of God. It's vitally important work, and we are here to support you. I hope at some point this year, you learned some tips or tools that helped you level up, or maybe we gave you some questions to wrestle with or some strategy things to consider that are helping you think deeper about your work. But most importantly, I hope that you feel connected to our community, that you know that you are not alone, that you feel encouraged knowing that the work that you do matters. Now, if you want to help other people feel that and join our community, the best way to do that is by sharing this episode with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever service you're listening to right now. And did you know the United Methodist Communications is celebrating over 80 years of ministry? Your support ensures that the latest denominational news, dynamic stories, and informative articles will continue to connect our global community. You can make a year-end tax-deductible donation today at resourceumc.org slash giveumcom. Thank you again for listening to the MyCom Church Marketing Podcast, and I'll catch you in 2023.